0: We'll learn the latest thoughts of Mitsuhei Murata, the former Japanese ambassador to Switzerland and an outspoken yet diplomatic critic of nuclear power. Then, an encore presentation of our interview with Ambassador Murata on stopping the 2020 Olympics from taking place in Tokyo. Plus, numnuts of the week for outstanding nuclear boneheadedness. The nuclear reactor duck and cover report on what's gone wrong this week with those aging, dangerous rust buckets, and more honest nuclear information than even loyal nuclear hot seat listeners will be able to concentrate on until this election season that would not die is over. All of it coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, November 8, 2016, and here is the week's nuclear news from a different perspective. Starting in the United States, where the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant, or WIPP site, near Carlsbad, New Mexico, has suffered another ceiling collapse. The fourth this year, and the third in the last two months. WIPP is an underground facility that accepts waste from nuclear facilities around the U.S., including Los Alamos National Lab in New Mexico, the Hanford site in Washington, and Savannah River site. Bizarrely, but very politically, Energy Secretary Ernest Moni Moniz and the media are still flogging the statement that the site is scheduled to reopen at the end of 2016, which is only nine weeks away, and begin accepting shipments of waste after July 31st, 2017, when Moniz will be well out of his position as Energy Secretary. While the cavens have prompted concerns about those dates, Department of Energy officials have said that they are committed to opening the facility safely and on time, two concepts that at the moment seem to be mutually exclusive. Another rural nuclear contamination site has been located in Pike County, Ohio, and the Portsmouth Gaseous Diffusion Plant which produced weapons-grade uranium for the U.S. military from 1954 through 2001, though the plant was placed in cold standby at that time for potential restart. A cancer cluster has been discovered in people who lived in the area and worked at the plant, though the government is denying many of them compensation under existing National Institute of Safety and Health standards. I'm thinking of starting a new feature called the Media Spin Cycle. And here are two examples. In one, an article from Bloomberg.com focusing on the closure of the San Onofre Nuclear Facility in Southern California, the headline reads, Nuclear Plants Closing Early Leave Decades of Toxic Waste Stranded. You know, no matter when those things close down, they're all going to leave not Decades of toxic waste stranded, but millennia of toxic waste stranded. The only way you can have an early closure of a nuclear facility is to shut it down before it opens. Bloomberg headline writers are trying to blame the waste on the fact that the people got the plant shut down. And anything that Southern California Edison has ever said about, well, it was a financial consideration is their dizzying attempt to negate the fact that they tried to install a substandard, untested, unapproved design for steam generation. And it was the noise that the activists in Southern California made that brought the thing to consistent attention and got them to have to shut it down. And in an article in the Akron Beacon Journal on November 5th, It stated that First Energy Corporation is undertaking a strategic review that could lead to selling off as many as 13 power plants, including its three nuclear power plants, where nearly 3,000 people work. Makes it sound like 3,000 people work at the three nuclear plants, which is not the case. It's the total from all 13 facilities. But there they go putting the emphasis on jobs as opposed to writing about the long-lasting nuclear waste that is toxic and detrimental to anyone who comes in contact with it. So instead of citing the number of current jobs at nukes that are going to be lost when they shut down, why don't reporters ever write, including its three nuclear power plants, where plutonium waste created will remain radioactive and dangerous for hundreds of thousands of years, thus providing employment forever for people in the community who have been given full disclosure of the dangers to be faced given all possible preventive measures and health care for life, and then agree to high-paying jobs taking care of this terrible, dangerous nuclear legacy. Speaking of which, it's time for the duck (coughs) and cover report of what's gone wrong at nuclear reactors this past two weeks. At Farley in Alabama on November 1st, an alert was declared at Unit 1 due to ammonium exceeding immediately dangerous to life and health levels in the Auxiliary Building. Note that an alert is the second step on the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's four-step scale to kiss your ass goodbye. <laughs> Two for one at Fermi in Michigan, where on October 28th, Standby Liquid Control Technical Specification was not met an event or condition that could have prevented the fulfillment of a safety function of a system needed to shut down the reactor and maintain it at a safe shutdown condition, control the release of radioactive material, and mitigate the consequences of an accident. Then on November 2nd at Fermi, a control rod drop accident at low power was an unanalyzed condition. Fermi has operated at low power levels several times in the past three years and during those periods of operation. This problem significantly, their favorite word, degraded plant safety as occurrence of a control rod drop accident during those periods could have resulted in off-site and main control room doses, meaning radiation, exceeding regulatory limits. (coughs) Two for one at Fitzpatrick in upstate New York as well. On October 28th, there was an unanalyzed condition due to a fire barrier door being inoperable. This resulted in two of five safe shutdown panels to be declared inoperable. And only six days later at Fitzpatrick, on November 2nd, there was a residual heat removal valve declared inoperable for containment isolation. Note that Fermi is one of the reactors. Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York who also rode on Jeffrey Epstein's Lolita Express jet, is bailing out. (coughs) At Waterford in Louisiana, two in the same day. On the 31st of October, an off-site notification for tritium-contaminated water spilled into a storm drain, estimated at 150 gallons total. And later that same day, supplemental cooling inoperable during movement of dry cask storage high-track transfer cask, which is classified as important to safety category B, and is an event in which important to safety equipment is disabled or fails to function as designed. Additional reactor events were reported to the NRC from Indian Point in New York, Cooper in Nebraska, Robinson in South Carolina, Harris in North Carolina, Hope Creek in New Jersey, and let's not forget that marijuana that was found at both Wolf Creek in Kansas and Seabrook in New Jersey. Duck and cover indeed. (coughs) In Australia... A citizen's jury called by Premier Jay Wetherill to consider whether South Australia should develop a nuclear storage industry has rejected the idea by an overwhelming two-thirds majority. The jury cited lack of trust as the deal-breaker. You think? It said it was skeptical of the state government's ability to deliver the project safely and on budget, as well as the sincerity of the jury process they had been asked to take part in. There were 350 members on this jury. And Premier Wetherill has repeatedly said that he will respect the jury's decision. Now he must rule out any further work and any further expenditure of taxpayers' money beyond the $10 million already wasted on what has been labeled his ill-conceived nuclear frolic. In the UK, fears have been raised that two of their nuclear reactors might not be able to shut down in an emergency... The nuclear regulatory raised concerns over fractures in keyways that lock together the core of Hunterston B. Power Station in Ayrshire and Hinkley B. in Somerset. According to EDF Energy's spokesmodel, Brian Cowell, the level of cracking is considered, quote, reasonable and is, quote, far below anything which would affect the reactor's safe operation. No word as to how close to either reactor, said Brian Cowell, lives. In Japan, former Prime Minister Junichiro Koizumi said the pro-nuclear ruling party of Prime Minister Shinzo Abe could lose the next lower house election if nuclear power becomes the main election issue. Citing recent gubernatorial election wins for candidates concerned about restarting nuclear power plants in Niigita and Kagoshima prefectures, Koizumi said during a recent interview with Kyoto News... Anti-nuclear opinions are beginning to grow. This could influence the next House of Representatives election. If opposition parties unite in fielding anti-nuclear candidates and making a complete phase-out of the country's nuclear plants one of the top election issues, they can defeat the ruling Liberal Democratic Party by tapping into voter fears following the 2011 Fukushima meltdowns. Highly radioactive sludge is turning up in septic tanks at car washes in Fukushima Prefecture. And the readings are as much as seven times higher than the government's limit, auto industry officials say. A document obtained by Kyoto News says that while government-set limits are 8,000 becquerels per kilogram, some of the sludge is giving off 57,400 becquerels per kilogram. Source of the radioactivity is believed to be ash and soot that stuck to vehicles, and to prevent the septic tanks from overflowing, some of the maintenance facilities are manually scooping up the mud, which prompted industry groups to warn authorities about the health hazards workers face. And now... Nuclear hot seat!
1: Nuclear hot
0: seat! Nuclear hot seat!
1: None that sound week.
0: Tokyo Electric Power Company, TEPCO, has announced its decision to end operations at the J-Village complex in Fukushima Prefecture by this coming March and return it to its original use as the training camp for the Japanese national soccer team. Mm -mm -mm. The J-Village facility is only about 20 kilometers, about 12.5 miles, away from the crippled Fukushima Daiichi triple reactor meltdown site, and just seven kilometers, four and one-third miles, from the current exclusion zone. TEPCO had used the soccer facility as a makeshift base for tasks from corporate communications to measuring the radiation exposure of employees. Nah, no need for that anymore. (laughs) As if. And TEPCO even built temporary dormitories there so that people could sleep that close to the radiation source. But as company spokesmodel Tatsuhiro Yamagishi said, it's also a boon for soccer players who will use the complex as their training base for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. The site boasts 11 soccer pitches, a 1,200-square-meter gymnasium, a four-lane swimming pool, but no working radiation monitors, the whole body counters that were used for monitoring internal radiation exposures in workers. And that's why, International Olympic Committee, Tokyo Electric Power Company, and those in charge of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics soccer team, you, each and every one of you, are this week's nuclear
1: hot seat. Not
0: We'll have this week's featured interview in just a moment. But first, Nuclear Hot Seat relies on your donations to keep us going and growing. My gratitude to all of you who donate when, how often, and as much as you can. Asking you to buy me a cup of coffee, make what I call a Starbucks donation of the equivalent of a cup of java, plus a good tip for the barista, is a great way to do it. You can make this a one-time gift or purchase the equivalent of a cup of coffee a month. Hey, add in the cost of a nosh as well. And consider making it a recurring donation. Either way, what you do supports what I do, the work of this show, which is helping you understand the nuclear issues and not be so alone with your awareness. So if you like what we do, help us keep doing it. Just go right now to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red Donate button. You can forward payment through your PayPal account, credit or debit card, or if you prefer to do it by check, send me an email at info at NuclearHotSeat.com and you will receive for your very own a snail mail address to use. Whatever you can do to help us keep covering the real nuclear news, you've got my thanks and my gratitude. Mitsuhe Morata is a career diplomat and former Japanese ambassador to Switzerland. He has been very outspoken in his opposition to Japan's nuclear policies, especially since the Fukushima disaster began in 2011. He recently wrote his thoughts on last month's historic vote by the United Nations to begin negotiations in 2017 that would outlaw nuclear weapons. We'll have that message for you in a few moments, but first, this interview with Ambassador Murata to help you understand about the man, how he came to his anti-nuclear position, and what led him to take a very public position regarding Japan's hosting of the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. This is a special encore presentation of Nuclear Hot Seat No. 234, which first posted on December 15, 2015. Ambassador Morata, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Yes. What is your background, and what led you into diplomatic work?
1: So I am a former career diplomat, and then I taught at the university. Driving for uh, the first of the career was my yearning for peace. And when did you begin your diplomatic career? Uh, Immediately after graduation from the university. It was 1961.
0: Where did you serve as a diplomat for Japan? We all know that you're the former ambassador to Switzerland, but where
1: else were you working? Three times in France, once in Belgium, once in uh, Egypt, Once in Algeria, once in Senegal, and once in Switzerland.
0: So you have quite an international perspective from your work. Yes, yes. Were you alive when the atomic bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki? Yes, I was
1: alive, uh, alive, but uh, I was around five or six years old then. What are your memories of that
0: event, and what do you remember the people around you, the adults around you, talking about it?
1: I was too small to remember what was being said at that time.
0: And in the years after that, do you recall any conversations or attitudes about the dropping of the bombs and nuclear
1: technology in general? Around me, people showed the subject in a distinct way. So I do not clearly remember. One of the great questions
0: is why Japan, the only country that has had nuclear weapons technology deployed against it, turned around and embraced nuclear energy. How would you explain
1: that stance that the country has taken? I think it is the influence of foreign countries, particularly the United States. And uh, later on, the whole Japan supported it and received the influence of the new system. Were there people who saw
0: a great contradiction in Japan accepting in nuclear reactors after Hiroshima and Nagasaki?
1: I think the people who took that stand were rather limited. Perhaps Hiroshima, Nagasaki people.
0: My understanding is that your stand against nuclear started long before the Fukushima Daiichi disaster began in 2011. Yes. When and how did you develop these beliefs? And what actions did you take to support or promote
1: them? You know, uh, when the Middle East war started in, uh, it was 1973, I was in Cairo. And this uh, war uh, necessitated Japan to procure energy, and the missions were sent to Egypt also to beg for petroleum. And at that time, I saw a, Uh, paper in the French paper, uh, that There was a village in Africa uh, using solar energy. And uh, from that time on, I was very much interested in solar energy. That was the starting point of my interest in energy problem.
0: At that time, did you entertain any thoughts at all that nuclear reactors and nuclear energy might have some of the solution as well to the energy problems.
1: As a matter of fact, I started to doubt about the significance of nuclear energy is Chernobyl accident. Decisively that accident.
0: And before that you were in favor of nuclear, you were neutral, you hadn't yet made up your mind about it? Rather neutral. Once you were aware of Chernobyl and what it meant and the fear that came from the radiation that was being let out by that nuclear accident, how did you then express your anti-nuclear beliefs? Was it part of your diplomacy or was this just a personal perspective that you had?
1: No, um, when I thought about Chernobyl, I was reminded of a three-mile accident. And when I thought much about it, I thought that the humanity should have departed from the use of nuclear energy after a three-mile island accident.
0: How did your anti-nuclear beliefs impact your diplomatic missions and your diplomatic career, if they did at all?
1: Uh, I was uh, in Switzerland between 1996-1999 uh, nah, and I sent out messages to Japan regularly and there was a sort of uh, exercise, nuclear accident exercise in Switzerland. I advised Japan to follow suit and this uh, the message was criticized.
0: Who did you send the message to, and where did the criticism come from?
1: You know, I sent messages to opinion leaders, politicians, uh, leading people in cultural fields, you know. the so criticism came from, that, uh, from one minister. And after
0: you got that response to your message, did you follow up on it, or did you just let it drop for a period of time?
1: No, because my attitude was uh, in private. I didn't uh, officially criticize the policy of the Japanese government. So uh, I continued, maintained my point of view, but not publicly.
0: Where were you on March 11 of 2011 and the days after that?
1: when the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster began? On that day, I was in Nagoya, and that evening I came back to Tokyo, and I had to find a hotel in Tokyo because I couldn't go back home, and I stayed on in Tokyo.
0: With you in Tokyo, as this is going on, as the early days are unfolding, how accurate Do you now feel the news was that you were receiving at that time as to what was happening? Of course,
1: uh, we were absorbed in the reporting. And as for the meltdown, it was announced only two months or so later that the responsible constantly said there is no immediate effect, no immediate danger. Mm -hmm. This was the repeated uh, comment.
0: Right, because they love the word no immediate because, <laughs> <That is. laughs> it,
1: because it takes time. Yes, yes. But it's reassuring.
0: <laughs> so even in Japanese, they were using the word no immediate danger.
1: That is This one minister in charge of the event, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you believe this at the time or did you find yourself being skeptical?
1: there were reporting in the internet and so forth being skeptical about the official explanation
0: as time went on how has your thinking about fukushima changed the way you are expressing yourself or the frequency with which you are expressing yourself publicly about nuclear
1: issues I thought that this is decisively we would conclude to put an end to the use of nuclear energy. That was my first impressions and my thinking after the accident. But, but uh, uh, as time went on, the polemics started. But I said, I have said everything before the accident, so I have no intention to engage in polemics. I said, it is simply immoral to support the use of nuclear energy after the accident.
0: And yet, Japan, under the leadership of Prime Minister Abe and his government, has returned and pushed very hard for the nuclear agenda to move forward. How difficult has it been for you to watch this direction that's been taken by the current administration?
1: I constantly sent out messages criticizing this and I sent messages even to the prime minister and the ministers, in, uh, competent ministers, and so forth, to the industrial circles, as I do continuously now.
0: What, if any, response have you gotten from those who are in power to these messages that you have been sending out?
1: You know, I am so frank, I didn't expect the responses. So I continued. Unilaterally, my messages constantly. And uh, you know, I have found out uh, recently that this uh, unilateral sending messages had uh, certain effects, like the attitude of prime, former Prime Minister Koizumi. I kept sending him messages for 15 years, and he never replied, but now his position is entirely in conformity with mine. So
0: in the long run you've seen at least some impact from the messages you have sent out.
1: Yes, well, another example is Prime Minister Hosokawa or Prime Minister former Prime Minister Hatoyama. They are now supporting my position. Especially Hatoyama recently we received interview from the Japan Times and it it will be published shortly. And he entirely supports uh, my idea for an honorable retreat from the Tokyo Olympic Games. This is a very, very good development.
0: This is something that I wanted to get into specifically. I don't know when the letters started, but beginning last June, we in the public became aware that you had been writing a series of letters calling for this honorable retreat. From the 2020 Tokyo Olympics which I have yes. to say is a very diplomatic way of stating it yes what kind of response has the letter generated first of all to the people you have been sending it to have you gotten any response from them at all
1: and uh, normally I do not receive because I am so uh, my position is so different from the, uh, the official one so uh, I do not receive response that I continue sending my message, even to the international prominent figures, like Pope Francis and so on, United Nations Secretary General or President of the United States, President of China, and so forth.
0: Has there been any kind of response that you have been receiving from the public? as a result of this very forward and very well-stated request for an honorable retreat?
1: Of course, in the Internet, very enthusiastic support in the Internet. But in the magazines or newspapers, no, no public official response. But lately, lately, now there is a monthly review, GetKan Nippon has published uh, uh, an article with my photo and my argument, and this was in August. And then Japan Times in October published an article entitled It is Time for an Honorable Retreat from the Tokyo Olympic Games. And this GetKan monthly magazine will be publishing another article in a week. What do you think are the chances that Japan will step back from the 2020 Tokyo Olympics? I think there is no other solution but for but this one. The logic explains the reason. You know, now more than a year and a half ago, Dr. Helen Caldicott sent a letter to the president of the IOC asking it to, asking him to send independent scientists to ascertain safety of Japan, of Tokyo. And uh, to this request, uh, so far, no reaction from the IOC. And uh, I think it will be difficult. I have written uh, more than 10 letters to the president, and it will be difficult to continue ignoring this legitimate request to reassure the safety of Tokyo.
0: What do you find most difficult or most frustrating about the continued silence from the International Olympic Committee and the government of Japan with their insistence that the Tokyo Olympics take place
1: as planned? You know, journalist of The Economist. Who wrote about a few months ago, it's like the former imperial army. And uh, the, the concerned people says preparations are going on smoothly. <laughs> Although the, the end is visible. And, uh, you know, I think IOCs, I, I surmise IOCs stand. If they send that, uh, an independent scientist, their finding will be to the contrary of the false assurance under control. So they cannot send one. So they will be now hoping for the withdrawal made by Japan. And in order to realize this, they might envisage disqualification of the Tokyo Olympics because all official commitments have been broken, as you know. mm mm-hmm. So it will be the choice between honorable retreat or disgraceful retreat, isn't it? So I think the uh, the result is clear, honorable retreat, in order to accomplish Japan's duty to do the best to overcome the consequences of the Fukushima accident. This is where honor resides. Do you think that there is
0: still time for that retreat to take place in
1: an honorable and orderly way? Yes. At any rate, if they go on as uh, now, those who will be coming to Japan, athletes, spectators, they certainly will require the reassurance of safety. So... The worst is just before the 2020 Tokyo Games, there will be massive boycotting. Yes, boycotting can be envisaged. And, you know, there are rumors and information. The situation in Fukushima is not at all under control and even worsening. And actually, there is an absolute necessity for verification by an international team.
0: So you think the countries, on behalf of their teams, will ultimately boycott the 2020 Olympics, even if Japan and the IOC wanted to move forward?
1: In case more findings are made public, findings as to the dangers, increasing dangers, of the situation in Fukushima, it is only natural that uh, uh, people refuse to come to Japan. If the Olympics do take place under
0: the IOC and the government of Japan, what would be your advice to anyone, either an athlete or somebody who's a fan of the various sports at the Olympics? What would be your advice to them?
1: You know, without giving advice, people will be reminded that the assertion that Fukushima is under control is completely wrong. This is already the case under present circumstances. IOC itself would not be believing this because it's a common knowledge. Fukushima is not at all under control. It
0: seems that the suppression of information about Fukushima and the lies about it, I have to call it lies because that's what it is, that have been put forth by the government and the nuclear industry are deeply embedded in the minds of the Japanese public as well as most of the rest of the world. Yes. Do you think it's still possible without some additional horrible thing happening at Fukushima, Do you think it's still possible for the people of Japan to realize the danger that is posed by Fukushima and take action that pressures the government into a saner, for lack of a better word, saner course of action than it has been taking?
1: This is the reason why I'm insisting uh, enthusiastically on honorable retreat from the Tokyo Olympic Games. This will awaken the Japanese people. This will awaken the world to the existing dangers of Fukushima.
0: Of course, there are other aspects of Japan's nuclear belief and its current course of selling nuclear technology to other countries, most specifically, right now, India. Yes. What are your thoughts on Japan being a broker for nuclear technology
1: to the rest of the world? This is simply immoral. That's all. And without finding out the causes of the accident, to export this technology and also to restart itself, restarting of some nuclear reactors, it is indeed. Immoral.
0: Where are you putting your energies now? Is it continuing letter writing? Are you speaking in public? What actions do you have planned in the future?
1: For instance, on the 23rd of November, I made a speech together with former Prime Minister Hapriyama on these issues and uh, with the participation of young students called Fields. And uh, this had uh, an impact, is having an impact. And uh, on the 7th of uh, December, with uh, Prime Minister Hatehama, we were interviewed by the Japan Times, and the article will certainly be made public, which will certainly have, uh, will uh, draw reactions and i'm dispatching messages constantly by emails to the people in Japan and outside Japan so i'm constantly engaged in sending out messages
0: if your efforts could have any lasting effect on your country regarding the nuclear issue mm-hmm. what would you want it to be
1: you know I created a term four years ago. term is the will of heavens and the earth. This is my uh, translation of providence. And this means the law of history researched by philosophy. An example is the inevitable fall of the arrogant and inevitable fall of all dictatorships, and so forth. These the, the law of histories. So the nuclear dictatorship is so powerful, it can make MIT publish a study to say that evacuation of residents from Fukushima was not scientifically totally correct, and so forth. So people in general... Feel desperate before the all powerful nuclear dictatorship. But uh, against this, this uh, idea of the wills of heavens and the earth allows us to have hope for the future. And for the heavens and the will of heavens and the earth, all uh, natural phenomena support this earthquakes, volcano eruptions. And kind of tsunamis, uh, so forth. So, uh, I think this philosophy will reassure desperate people.
0: What actions would you like to see taken on behalf of the people who are in
1: Fukushima and from Fukushima? There is an important uh, findings by a um, Christian who is engaged in helping disaster area, people in the disaster area, he made 560 interviews, and he has found out that mothers are extremely worried about the health of the children, and they say waiting five years is the maximum, and uh, even being divorced, if necessary, they will emigrate from the actual place. And uh, he foresees a large-scale movement of uh, residents, evacuation, and emigration. And this, he thinks, on the occasion of the fifth anniversary, so next spring, mm-hmm. next March 11th, all data, foreign and Japanese journalists, have uh, a must so far will be made public. They must wait for this special occasion, otherwise, they couldn't obtain incomes. That this fifth anniversary will be an occasion to disclose those data. And this will change completely the atmosphere. And he foresees even a social change, just like the 311 has brought
0: about. Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners
1: at this time? Yes, we are most uh, seriously worried about the health of children. You know, the, in Ukraine, five give gives obligation to emigrate, and over 10 civilians it is uh, obligatory emigration. Uh, is imposed, whereas in Fukushima, the government has allowed the residents to come back 20 millisieverts below, 20 millisieverts. This is a most serious, unhuman humanitarian measure, if we think about health of children. So I am asserting the evacuation of children is urgently needed.
0: If there's anything that the listeners of Nuclear Hot Seat can do to assist you and support you, what would you ask
1: I, of them? The most important thing is to let the world know the situation in Fukushima is serious. In order to obtain this result, the honorable retreat from the uh, Tokyo Olympics is urgently needed and most effective, and I think for the, the whole world needs this because, as you know, it is unstoppable accident, daily huge amount of radiation is coming from Fukushima site and the Pacific Ocean there is no prospect for solution, and more than 700,000 tons of contaminated water might finally be released into the sea and 10,000 barrels reaching the limitations of capacity. And so the situation of the Pacific Ocean is very serious. That is why I'm asking for an honorable retreat to cope with the shameful criticism that Japan is now harming the global environment.
0: We will, of course, here at Nuclear Hot Seat, do everything in our power to make certain that your message, which you have so generously shared with us today, is put out in as many places as possible. I thank you very much. I thank you. Ambassador Murata, for all you have done and all you continue to do on behalf of all the people and the planet.
1: I will continue to do my best.
0: Japan's former ambassador to Switzerland, Mitsuhei Murata. In light of the United Nations vote to begin negotiations in 2017 to outlaw nuclear weapons, Ambassador Murato recently wrote to Lisa Wolf, the producer and host of the online radio program, SLOPE, which stands for Save Life on Planet Earth. In his email, Ambassador Murato wrote, It is indeed regrettable that Japan, the world's sole victim of atomic bombings, should have voted against the U.N. resolution of 28 October a landmark resolution to launch negotiations in 2017 on a treaty outlawing nuclear weapons. Survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki have naturally expressed their anger and disappointment. Conscientious Japanese people will all agree that it is an historic mission of Japan to contribute to the accomplishment of true denuclearization, both civilian and military. The will of the majority of the Japanese people has once again been belittled. This makes one question the governability of Japan. We are reminded of the immoral realities of the present world. The preset crisis the world is confronted with is neither an economic crisis nor a monetary one, it is a crisis of civilization. The solution requires the mobilization of human wisdom on the widest global scale. Mankind faces a change of way of life, not only in Japan, but the entire world. The deeply rooted cause of this crisis is the universally prevalent lack of ethics. It is against fundamental ethics to abuse and exhaust natural resources that belong to future generations— and leave behind permanently poisonous nuclear waste and enormous financial debts. It is a matter of great urgency to put an end to this civilization based on greed. Now is the time for us to transform it into a civilization based on maternal culture that gives the supreme value to life and not to economy as heretofore. It can be defined as a maternal civilization based on ethics and solidarity that respects the environment and the interests of future generations. Under such circumstances, it is badly needed to hold a United Nations Ethics Summit as early as possible and to create an International Day for Global Ethics that will enable all nations, year by year, to reflect on the importance of ethics the will of heavens and the earth, the law of history, tells us that immorality cannot last long. The mainstream of the world has started to change. The shift from the current paternal civilization, based on power and domination, to a maternal civilization, based on harmony and solidarity, is now becoming visible with increasing female top leadership the retreat from the Tokyo Olympic Games 2020 will start changing Japan. It is simply immoral to continue to rely on the false assertion that Fukushima is under control. The IOC, the International Olympic Committee, has not yet responded to the request of verification coming from the civil society. It is to be deplored, that the departure from the spirit of the Olympic Games is attaining its limitations due to its excessive commercialization more and more disclosed recently in connection with Governor Yuriko Koike's new initiative to reduce the Olympic expenditure. Please allow me to count on your understanding and support. With warmest regards, Mitsuhay Morata, former Ambassador to Switzerland. We'll have a link up to his website on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 281. For clarity, the study to which Ambassador Murata referred is by Dr. Naoya Kawakame, who carried out 562 interviews with mothers from Fukushima. He found out that for many of these mothers, the limit they were willing to wait in Japan was five years— and then they were determined to evacuate their children, ready to be divorced if necessary to accomplishment. According to Ambassador Murata, Dr. Kawakame foresaw a large-scale immigration from Japan by these mothers and their children starting in the spring of 2016. If any listeners to Nuclear Hot Seat who are located in Japan know whether this has come about, please let me know and I'll share the information on a future show. Activist shout-out! Two of them this week. The first from Kumar Sundaram, who is on the ground in Japan, working on the international protest against the Japan-India nuclear agreement. In a letter that has been signed onto by 428 organizations and 2,542 individuals in 30 countries. This joint appeal to Japan's Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and Japan's Prime Minister Narendra Modi reads in part, We strongly oppose the signing of the India-Japan nuclear cooperation agreement during the Indian Prime Minister's upcoming visit to Japan. The purpose of this agreement is to allow Japan to export nuclear technology to India, a country that has not signed the Non-Proliferation Treaty, or NPT, and in fact possesses nuclear weapons. With the cooperation of Japan, the only country that has experienced wartime nuclear attack, this agreement will enable India to build nuclear reactors and it is believed it will also allow India to extract plutonium from spent fuel rods used in these reactors. With no effective international safeguards, there is a possibility that this plutonium could be used for nuclear purposes. The already weak international nonproliferation regime with NPT at its center will be severely undermined with the legitimization of India's nuclear weapons, which is, in effect, what Japan is doing by signing this agreement. If you would like to sign this appeal, we will have a link up on the website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 281. You can also find it on nonukesasiaforum.org under Japan and Archives. Prime Minister Modi is arriving in Japan on November 11, so if you're hearing this before November 11, get a move on, get your name on it and here's something that any of us can do courtesy our friends at nuclear information and resource service or nears.org the organization is hosting three free webinars on the nuclear fuel chain which i prefer to think of as the nuclear fool chain these will cover basic information such as uranium mining and nuclear power And highlight current issues, such as centralized interim storage of radioactive waste, transportation issues, and much more. So get out the popcorn and cozy up with the webinar. The first one is on Thursday, November 10, at 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Mountain Time, with the terrific all-star lineup of Karen Haddon of the SEED Coalition. Arjun Makhijani of the Institute for Energy and Environmental Research, and Kevin Camps of Beyond Nuclear. Then one week later, on Thursday, November 17, again at 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Mountain Time, will be a talk on high burn-up aging fuel, characteristics and dangers of fuel pools and casks, and hardened online storage as well as reprocessing. Speakers will include Gordon Thompson of the Institute for Resource and Security Studies and Donna Gilmore of San Onofre Safety. The links to sign up are a little too long and complex to read over the air, so I'll just have them up on the website as usual. And the third of the three webinars is yet to be announced, but if the first two are any indication, it's going to be yowza. Here's today's final thought. As I record this episode of Nuclear Hot Seat, I have no idea who will win or who has won the race for President of the United States. For me, this election has been about who has access to what is colloquially referred to as the button, the football. In other words, the nuclear launch codes that accompany the President everywhere probably even to the bathroom. I have many thoughts on this, and probably more fears, which I found expressed very succinctly in a post that Dr. Helen Caldicott shared on Facebook. In it, she quotes Michael Clare, who is a five-colleges professor of peace and world security studies and a genuine expert, frequently quoted in mainstream media. Michael Clare recently wrote, It's clear that we're on the threshold of a new nuclear era, a time when the actual use of atomic weapons is being accorded greater plausibility by military and political leaders globally, while war plans are being revised to allow the use of such weapons at an earlier stage in future armed clashes. In other words, whoever enters the Oval Office, it may be time for the rest of us to take up those anti-nuclear signs long left to molder in closets and memories and put some political pressure on leaders globally to avoid strategies and weapons that would make human life on this planet so much more precarious than it already is. Thanks, Michael Clare. As regards this election cycle and its vicious whipsaw manipulations, all I can say is everyone peace this has been nuclear hot seat for election tuesday november 8 2016 material for this week's program has been researched and compiled from miningawareness.wordpress.com deunrenard.wordpress.com bloomberg.com aikenstandard.com america.aljazeera.com ToledoBlade.com, JapanTimes.com, News.com.au, BBC.com, RBTH.com, NoNukesAsiaForum.org, NEARS.org, thanks to Lisa Wolf and Slope, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and the Election-Weary Planet Protectors who gather at the Nuclear Hot Seat site on Facebook, which you are invited to come to to join us. Like us and share our posts with your friends and family. Theme music written by me, sung by Marilyn Weber, accompaniment by John Barnard, recorded at Winslow Court Studio in Hollywood. If you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. We are copyright 2016, libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed as long as proper attribution is provided. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that donations are the lifeblood of Nuclear Hot Seat, so please consider helping us out today, and that whoever wins the presidency today, there will still be the button, there will still be nukes, and it's time for us all to get involved. Why? Because we've all had our nuclear wake up call. So don't go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear, nuclear hot seat. seat. What are those people thinking? New-